So now we're back into action in Genesis 38. Genesis 38. So open up your Bibles to Genesis chapter 38. You guys remember where we left off? Story of Joseph. Right? We left off in the story of Joseph when uh, uh, his bro- when he was sold into slavery. His brother sold him into slavery. They ended up killing, killing a goat and doing what? What they do with a goat? Well, they, they actually dipped the, the coat, right? Joseph's coat into, into the goat's blood. Yeah, many parts, right? And then they brought it to, to Pops, to Jacob. So they had to deal with the lies. They had to deal with looking at their dad, grieving, right? So now we come to Genesis 38. And I'm going to tell you right now up front, that Genesis 38 really isn't exactly the most family-friendly story in the Bible, okay? I'm going to warn you right now. I'm going to prepare you right now, okay? If, if Genesis 38 was not in the Bible and it was in the form of a movie, it would probably be rated PG-13, maybe rated R, okay? Because the events in this chapter that are presented here to us are presented to us in a very direct manner. Okay, and it might be a little bit uncomfortable, but that's the good thing about the Word of God, right? It doesn't filter nothing out. It tells us the way it is. Amen? That's what I love about the Word of God. You know, there ain't, there ain't no Instagram filter to really, you know, filter anything out or to make it look better, right? The Bible's true. Okay? So Genesis 38 is going to make it clear You know, that the people dealing here, that the people in this chapter are really not heroes, right, but sinners, okay? And if you guys have been with us, those have been following with us, you know, throughout this whole time in the book of Genesis, you'll see that that's a reoccurring theme, right? The people found in Genesis aren't really, you know, stellar, you know, but they're people that fall short, amen? So I feel pretty good. I feel pretty, you know, in pretty good company. Right? Because I fall short. I mess up. So when I read stories like this and I see the way God moves in the midst of, of these people here, it, it encourages me. Right? Because I know that God's not done with me yet. Amen? Okay. So here in Genesis, I've talked to many people you know, about, about the Old Testament. I've heard many people talk about how they don't like reading the Old Testament stories because they feel like, you know, the Old Testament is full of too much wrath. You know, that God is too wrathful. You know, but when I hear people talk like that, I often wonder, are you really reading the Old Testament? Are you really understanding what you're reading? Because when you read through, through the book of Genesis or even through the Old Testament, you're going to see, you know, that the main thing that, that really goes on within the Old Testament, actually through the whole Bible, is not God's wrath. Sure, there are times where God, you know, does display his wrath. He pours out, you know, like when you, when you read stories about Sodom and Gomorrah, how he rained fire and brimstone, right? There are occurrences like that. But for the most part, the majority of it, you'll read over and over time and time again of God's mercy, even in the Old Testament, okay? And so this, this chapter right here, is going to be a great example for us 
to see God's grace at work. Amen? How many, how many are ready of us to, 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 to see God's grace at work? All right, let's go ahead and dig in. Starting at verse 1. It says, at the time, Judah left his brothers, and he went down to stay with a man of Adullam named Hira. So here, remember, we're, 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 we're moving out of, out of the last story, right? What happened in the last story? Joseph was, 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 was sold into slavery, okay? At this moment right here, Judah is leaving his brothers, okay? Could it be out of guilt? I think so, right? Because let's remember that when, it, when everything was going on with Joseph, what they wanted to do, they wanted to kill Joseph. The brothers did, right? Even Reuben, the oldest brother with the brightest idea, says, let's throw him in this pit, which was actually a slow death. Because the type of pit that they threw him in was a kind that you couldn't climb out of. So it was a slow death. The one that actually said, let's not kill him because he's our brother, was actually Judah. Judah was the one that actually saved uh, Joseph from being killed. But it was his bright idea to have him sold into slavery. So... In this part right here, we can see that it's probably guilt that's eating away at him, right? Eating away because it was, high, it was his idea to sell his brother into slavery, right? Not, not only that, but the fact that they lied about, about him being killed and watching his father grieving. So you can, you can imagine the mixed feelings that Judah's going through right now, okay? So he's saying to himself, I got to get away. I got to get away from all this, right? He's tired of all the brothers' lies. He's tired of looking at his dad grieving over, over Joseph. So it seems that he's being consumed with a lot of guilt, okay? Now, the, the, the fact that Judah takes off is wrong, and I'm going to tell you why. Because when you do something wrong, you don't want to just take off. You don't want to just turn your back on family. You don't want to turn your back on friends. You definitely don't want to leave your godly influence, right? The only influence that Judah had that was godly was his father, right? Jacob. Not only that, he probably had even surrounding people in that area that were godly, not his brothers. We already knew the condition of his brothers. But the fact that he turned his back on everybody else and took off was wrong, okay? So by fleeing... He was fleeing. He was leaving the only godly help and influence that he had, okay? We can see here that he's pretty much in desperate need of help, okay? So instead of, instead of him going to uh, uh, leaving, what he should have did was went to his father. It would have been a lot easier for him just to confess and say, this is what we did. We're sorry. You know what I mean? He could have gotten in a little trouble, sure. But at least they would have formed a search party or something to go after Joseph, right? But instead... He goes the easy way out. How many of us have ever done that? Right? How many of us have ever been in a situation to where you can't take it and you feel like you got to just take off? And you think that that's the easiest way out, right? The easiest way to deal with the problem. Okay? So when we mess up, when we have sinned, right, the answer is not to run away. The answer is not to forsake the family of God. The answer is definitely not to turn your back on God because that's exactly what Judah's doing right here. By him leaving the godly influence that he had, he was actually turning his back on God. Okay? So, 
The best way to deal with a problem is to take it head on. Be man up. Man up about the problem. Man up about your mistakes that you did. You'd be surprised how quick you can get over it, right? I think it lingers a lot longer when you take off because it's always going to be on the back of your mind. You know what I mean? That's why, you know, I believe it's so important for us not to just be part of a church, but to be deeply embedded in relationship, right? Because when you've done something wrong or when you're going through something, you got something that you, you got someone that you can turn to, right? You've got God, you've got godly families, you've got leadership, right, who are open, who are ready to help you out. But the main thing is that you got to be the one to make that first move. You got to be the one to turn to them and say, hey, listen, I need help, right? I can't tell you how many times that I've, I've talked to people that have left church and I've asked them, hey, man, what's up, man? Where you been? You know, been missing you. And the excuse that they give me, well, they don't give me an excuse as to what they did wrong. But they give me an excuse as to, well, nobody's reaching out to me. And I'm like, I don't get it. I don't get it. You see, th this place right here is a hospital, huh? This place is a hospital. And it's here, man, for, for everyone who, who's dealing with issues to come and find healing, right? That's what this place is here for. And it reminds me, you know, when, when, when I had COVID, when I, was, when I was in the hospital with COVID. You know, I never got a phone call from anyone from the hospital. Never. Not a doctor, not a nurse, nobody. But the moment that I checked into the hospital because something was wrong, I was getting phone calls left and right, right? And the reason why they called me was because I made the move to go, to go there, right, to seek help. They would have never called me if I would have ran away. They would have never called me if I would have stayed home. But the fact that I went to seek help because I was in a condition where I needed help, they were calling me every day. They were checking up on me every day. So you see where I'm getting at? So the problem is not, is not I mean, the, 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 the answer is not to run away, but the answer is to run toward, right? To seek help. I mean, all of us are here, man, ready to help. We're all here ready to help you out. But we can't help you out if you don't say nothing. And we can't help you out if you take off, right? This is what we see Judah doing right here. He's not seeking any help. He's taking off, right? He's bouncing. You know what I mean? Like, like, like he's got all the answers out somewhere else, all right? When, when, I, when I read this, I'm, I'm, I'm reminded, I'm reminded of, of one of the pro I'm, I'm, I'm one who likes to watch, um, you know, the wildlife-type programs that you see, like, on, on the History Channel and stuff like that, you know? And I remember seeing a program, you know, uh, uh, one of those predatory type programs, you know, where a leopard is chasing a whole group of gazelles, right? And the only way that he was able to devour a gazelle is if he separated one. That was the only way he was successful at devouring this little animal. That's what the enemy does to us. The enemy does everything he can to separate us from the pack Right? Because he knows that if he gets us on a one-on-one -on -one basis, his odds are in his favor. Right? So what's the answer to overcome the enemy's tactics? Stay connected. Right? Stay plugged in. Stay plugged into God. Stay plugged into church. Stay plugged into ministry. Stay plugged into community here at church. Right? And one of the best ways here at Mission is what? Discipleship groups. 
If you're not part of a discipleship group, I encourage you, get involved. You'll be surprised of the relationships that you'll develop there. You'll be surprised of the friendships. You'll be surprised of the support that you'll get. Amen? So the answer is not to run away, but to run toward it. Amen? Let's continue. Verse 2. There Judah met the daughter of, of a Canaanite man named Shua. He married her, and he made love to her. So Judah, after he runs away, he marries a Canaanite. A Canaanite, remember the Canaanites were the people that they weren't supposed to get involved with. He marries a Canaanite, right? He moves out. He only moves eight miles away from home. It's only eight miles. But keep in mind that this place is a Canaanite village. Therefore, it is a worldly place, right? Judah now, he's independent. He's a young man. He's robust. What do you think is, is going to happen when you're out in the world? You're going to get connected to the wrong people. So he gets connected to this woman, they become friends, they hook up, and they get married, right? Notice how he never goes to his dad. Pop, what do you think? What do you think his dad would have said? Yeah, he would have reminded him, right? He would have reminded him about what his grandfather and his great-grandfather said. Abraham and Isaac, don't marry a Canaanite. So he knew this stuff. He knew that. He knew that, he knew that it was prohibited, Right? How many of us ever neglect godly counsel because we know that it's not going to work out in our favor? Right? Come on, I'm about to read somebody's mail right now. Right? But we're all guilty of it in some way, shape, or form. You know what I mean? Why? Because it's our flesh, man, that's talking, and we want to satisfy our flesh. You know what I mean? So instead of seeking godly counsel about a decision that we want to make, we want to go do it our own self, thinking that we got all the answers. But what happens when things go wrong? We start singing our shoulda, coulda, wouldas, our boo-hoo-hoos, right? When all we had to do was seek godly counsel. Amen? Which is what Judah should have done. All right. So he marries an unbeliever. He breaks the commandment that God gives them to make sure that they don't intermingle or marry any Canaanites. All right? Any unbelievers, okay? So here we see, just in these two verses, we see two big mistakes that Judah's doing, okay? Two things that he's messing up. One is that he's fleeing a bad situation, okay? And he's trying to find help in a worldly environment, okay? I'll use myself as, gonna, as an example. I was real good at that. I was real good at making excuses back before you know, giving my life to the Lord, when I used to be an alcoholic, I used to make the, 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 the excuse saying, well, I want to get away from it all, right? I just want to get away for a little while, right? Some people can hide behind a bottle, some behind drugs, some behind entertainment, whatever the case may be. People end up seeking in different places and worldly places, you know, a little break from whatever problem that they're facing. But how many of us know that when you're done getting high, when you're done getting drunk, when you're done with the entertainment, that problem is still there, right? It's still there. So the best way that we can, that we can deal with that is taking a head on with God by our side and having godly counsel. So that's his first mistake, right? His second mistake was that he married an unbeliever, okay? So let's continue. Verse 3, she became pregnant and gave birth to a son who was 
who was named Ur. She conceived again and gave birth to a son and named him Onan. We'll call him Onan the Barbarian. She gave birth and still another she gave birth to still another son and named him Shelah. It was at Kezib that she gave birth to him. Judah got a wife for Ur, his firstborn, and her name was Tamar. But Ur, Judah's firstborn, was wicked in the Lord's sight, so the Lord put him to death. Now remember, Judah went out and got his wife by himself. He went out and married a Canaanite woman. But this time, he doesn't let his son make that decision. He feels he's going he's to go ahead and do that decision himself. He's going to go ahead and, and find a woman for his son. For what reason? We're not told. All we can do is maybe speculate as to the reason why, right? It says that he was, he was evil, okay? Now, maybe he was trying to find a woman to tame him, right, to set him straight. We don't, we don't know, right? We don't know. What we do know is that he acted out on his own, and he went and he got this woman for his son. Okay, now, it says that he was wicked. Ur was wicked, and the Lord put him to death, okay? What was the wickedness? We're not told, okay? But it must have been really bad to the point that God had to put him to death, okay? We're not told what it is. It could be something that's been adding up over time, and before you know it, God said enough was enough, okay? We don't know. The only thing that we do know is what we're told here in Scripture, that he was wicked and the Lord had to put him down, okay? But you know, oftentimes when people read Scripture like this, they tend to think, you know, well, God's brutal for putting a man to death like that just because it says that he was wicked. We got to realize, church, that a man could be so wicked Okay, a man could be so wicked that by God putting him to death, that's actually an act of mercy. It's actually an act of mercy. Because how many of us know that wickedness is contagious? Right? How many, how many of us have ever heard that term, misery loves company? Right? So a person who is in wickedness, believe me, they don't like being wicked by themselves. Wickedness is contagious. So sometimes it's going to take an act of God's mercy. Right? to save other people and make the decision to put someone down. Now, was this the case? We don't know. It could be, right? But whatever the case is, this man was so evil, okay? So now, let's see. In, Ro in Romans chapter 6, Romans chapter 6 talks about the sin unto death, okay? It talks about a sin unto death. It's not talking about one single sin. It's talking about a life of sin, okay? So who knows? Maybe Ur had that type of life of sin to where the Lord finally made the decision that it was time to go, okay, in order to protect others because sin is contagious. Wickedness is contagious, amen? Okay, let's continue. Verse 8, then Judah said to Onan, sleep with your brother's wife and fulfill your duty to her as brother-in-law to raise up offspring for your brother. So here, Judah's following the law of the day, okay? There were laws back then, you know, and this is one of them, okay? Tamar was given to, to Onan, the next, the next son, as wife, okay? This was, this was considered 
the Leveret custom, the Leveret law. And we read about that in Deuteronomy chapter 25, but we also read about that also in Matthew chapter 22. And, the, and this law, this Leveret custom says that if a man died without children, that the next oldest son was to marry his wife and to bear a son. Okay? So this is what Judah's doing. Ur, Ur, Ur was, was put to death, so now he's like, Tamar, this is your husband now. So he tells Onan, Onan, fulfill your duties. This is your duty. Because it was a custom, it was a law that they were given that, hey, you got to go ahead and you got to start a family for your brother. Okay? So it was legally. The firstborn of this, of this uh, consummation would become the heir of the dead son. Okay, and it would be for two reasons. One is to carry the family name, and two was so that the property holdings would remain in the family. In other words, the inheritance, right? Now, what would happen if he didn't have a son? The inheritance would go to the next oldest son, the next oldest brother, which was who? Onan the barbarian. Okay, let's continue. Verse 9, but Onan knew that the child would not be his. So whenever he slept with his brother's wife, he spilled his semen on the ground to keep from providing offspring for his brother. What he did was wicked in the Lord's sight, so the Lord put him to death also. Now there's some, there's some, there's some who would take the, these verses and would use these verses in a way to say that contraception is a sin, and that's not what it's talking about. Okay? But there are a few things that we can see here that are wrong in Onan's actions. Okay, Here we can see Onan doesn't love, he doesn't care for his brother's wife, let alone the family. And that's wrong. Here we can see Onan is gripped with a spirit of rebellion. Why? Because he's preventing from a child to be born. What's, 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 what's so wrong with that? Remember, we, we're, we're, we're in the book of Genesis. The book of Genesis is what? The book of beginnings, right? So in the book of beginnings, what did God tell Adam and Eve? Be fruitful and multiply, right? Then he tells Noah and his family, be fruitful and multiply. What was the promise he gave Abraham? You will be the father of many nations. How can you be a father of many nations if you got someone that's holding back your seed, let alone spilling it? Right? So this is a gross rebellion in God's sight. Okay? Because here, we're talking about building the nation of Israel. We're talking about fulfilling the promise that God gave to Abraham. Okay? So, the third thing that we can see here, we can see greed. Because if Onan ends up having a, a, a child, the inheritance goes to the firstborn child. Right? If you don't have a child, the inheritance goes to him. So we can see that there's greed here also. And the last thing that I can see is that he's misusing and perverting the marriage. He's having a good old time laying with her, but he's not consummating it. He's not taking responsibility and building a family, right? So God sees his heart. God sees the manipulation that he has, that, that manipulative spirit that he has, right, and trying to manipulate this whole situation. Now, God sees that that's rebellion, so he puts him to death. Now, what's so wrong with that? Why would he put him to death? Just like Ur, we don't know. It might have been 
a buildup of many things, and this is finally the tipping point where he said, you know what? Enough is enough, right? Okay, let's continue. Then on a side note, okay, on a side note, the person that I want to blame for this is actually Judah. Judah's the one that I want to blame for this, and I'll tell you why. Because if Judah would have never left God's presence, if he wouldn't have left God's people, he wouldn't have made bad choices that his kids saw, right? So basically, Judah was leaving a legacy for his kids of making bad choices. You know what I mean? To me, that's Judah's fault, right? Raising up kids, making bad decisions, so bad to the point that God had to put them to death. And that's a lesson for us parents, right? It's a lesson for us parents. For those of you who are parents, you're leaving a legacy for your kids, right? You're leaving a legacy for your kids. Your kids are watching how you are. You can tell them how to be good all you want. But if they see how you live, that's what they're going to go based on. Judah knew. He knew the law. He knew everything about, about, about the Lord, right? He comes from a godly family. But he was making bad choices, and that's what his kids were looking at. Right? And they followed through. And this is what happened. So that's just a side note. All right? Another thing, too, here's another thing, too. And we've been talking about sin a lot, right? We've been talking about the consequences of sin. Sin has consequences right here. But you know what's powerful about this one right here is the fact that the consequences that Judah has, they don't come right away, right? And sometimes when we mess up, the consequences that we suffer don't come right away. Don't think that just because you messed up and, you did, and nothing happened, that ain't nothing going to happen. Because if you don't come correct, man, something is going to happen. Because it's a seed that we planted, right, that has to bear fruit. So here, here we're looking at that even though the decisions that Judah was making, he didn't pay the price until his sons. You know what I mean? And his son, he ended up paying a big price for the death of his sons. Which reminds us of the first rule, right, in the school of hard knocks. Remember that? You reap what you sow. You reap what you sow. Amen? Let's continue. Verse 11. Judah then said to his daughter-in-law, Tamar, Live as a widow in your father's household until my son Sheila grows up. For he thought he may die too, just like his brother. So Tamar went to live in his father's household, in her father's household. Now, that, this is funny because now we're looking at Judah. He's being a little superstitious here, right? He's being a little superstitious. He's like, Tamar, listen, you married my first son, he's dead. You married my second son, he's dead. So why don't you do us all a favor, go home. That's what he's done. Do us all a favor and go home. And when my son Sheila's old enough, then you can go ahead and marry him. But he never had the intention of allowing that to happen because he considered her bad luck. She was like the black widow of the Old Testament, right? I say black widow because, you know, I like watching these programs. One time I was watching a program, right, one of those uh, crime investigative programs, you know, and one of them happened to be of a certain lady that was killing off her husbands for the insurances. And they called her the Black Widow. Right? So I'm like, okay, this is the Black Widow of the Old Testament. That's probably what Judah's saying. And he's like, do us all a favor. Just go home. Right? 
That's funny. And poor Tamar, she says, okay, I will. Right? So she goes home. Verse 12. After a long time, Judah's wife, the daughter of Shua, died. When Judah had recovered from his grief, he went up to Timnah, to the men who were shearing his sheep. And his friend Hira the Adolamite went with him. So here, Judah is finally blowing off steam. He's finally done grieving. He says, I got to get my mind off of the death of my wife. It's time for me to go out and take care of business, right? So he goes to shear his sheep. If we, if we were to look at this in modern days, it would be like getting off of work and then heading out to the strip club. Because shearing sheep was actually a, a, a time of festivities, right? Where you can blow off steam. Where a lot of guys got together and they did whatever they want. They drank and did all this other stuff. One thing to note, though, okay, is that here he's done grieving. He's done grieving, so he's, he's, he's really looking to be comforted. Okay, so he goes to Timnah. Now, Timnah happens to be kind of like Vegas, right? Because we read about someone else in the Old Testament that used to go to Timnah to be comforted. That was Samson. Okay, Samson will go to Timnah. Let's continue on because that's going to get good. Verse 13, when Tamar was told your father-in-law is on his way to Timnah to shear sheep, right? So obviously she had some people looking out, right? Looking out to see what he's doing. She finally realizes, you know, that at this point, he's not going to give me his son to marry. So now she's going to take matters into her own hands. Verse 14, she took off her widow's clothes. Isn't that funny? How she's still wearing her widow's garment, and yet her husband died before Judah's wife? Judah was already done mourning. But yet she's still mourning here. Me personally, I believe she's still mourning in protest of what Judah's not complying with. He's not keeping his promise. But anyway, that's my opinion. She took off her widow's clothes, covered herself with a veil to disguise herself, and then sat down at the entrance to Anaim, which is on the road to Timnah. For she saw that though Shelah had now grown up, he had not been given, she had not been given to him as his wife. When Judah saw her, he thought she was a prostitute, for she had covered her face. Now, in some of your translations, it'll say that she was a harlot. Now, the Hebrew word translated harlot, it implies that Tamar was dressed up as a temple prostitute. Okay? In other words, she was employed by the pagan system. And judging by her Canaanite background, promiscuity and was a, actually a, practice, a practic, practical way of life in that culture. So to them in that culture, to be a temple prostitute was something respectable in that culture, right? I'm not saying that it's right. In the eyes of God, it was wrong, right? That's why God didn't want nobody hooking up with them because they were unbelievers, they were sinful, right? And they didn't want anybody to be involved in it or be drawn into that, okay? So Looking at it from a godly point of view, yes, we do condemn that, right? But looking at it from a logical point of view, you can't really condemn her too severely because she's actually following her culture, right? Okay, let's continue. Not realizing that she was his daughter-in-law, he went over to her by the roadside and said, Come now, let me sleep with you. And what will you give me to sleep with you, she asked. Now isn't this something? Here we got Judah, now he's turning, in, he's turning to illicit sex now. 
right? He's turning to illicit sex, and he's approaching this, this, this prostitute, right, that he doesn't know is his daughter-in-law. He's got no idea. But notice how easy it's for him to approach this woman like nothing, right? What's up, girl? Let me get some, right? How much you got? Right? I could just imagine the whole dialogue, right? It was so easy. Huh? Stop, girl. Give me some. How much you got? Okay? Then he comes out and says, I don't have no money. I don't have nothing right now that I can pay you later. He says, I'll send you a young goat from my flock, he said. But she's smart. She says, will you give me something as a pledge until you send it? In other words, how, 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 how do I know you're going to come through with your end? Give me something that I can hold on to, right? So he says, what pledge shall I give you? Notice what she says. Your seal and its cord and the staff in your hand, she answered. So he gave them to her and slept with her, and she became pregnant. So Judah... Judah approaches this woman, and he's broke. He ain't got nothing with him, right? He don't have the money to pay for the services that he wants. So he says, what do you want? Notice what she asked for. What's the first thing she asked for? The seal, the ring, the signet, right? The signet was a ring that held the identity. It held like an inscription or maybe... Or maybe the, the, um, the letter of his name, right? It was an identification, okay? If we, were to, if we were to think about that in modern days, it would be like his driver's license. It was his identity. She says, I want your seal. Then she says, I want the cord. Now, the cord was what held the seal, right? It's kind of like a necklace where it held the holds a ring on it. What would that be in modern days? What holds a driver's license? Your wallet. What does the wallet speak of? Wealth. So she's like, I want your identity and I want your wealth. Next thing she says, I want your staff. Staff, position, authority. I want your identification. I want your person. I want your possessions, and I want your position. Isn't that how it works today? Anybody who gets involved in immorality with someone else are the exact same things that you lose. You lose your identity because you're no longer the same person that you were before, right? You lose your wallet because now you're dishing out money. And then you lose your position. You're no longer the man that you were before. You end up losing your home, losing this, losing that. She's smart. She goes, what do I want? I want it all. Isn't that how that happens now? When you get mixed up with someone you shouldn't get mixed up with, in a life of immorality, they end up taking it all. Amen? So what happened? Judah... Because he's so consumed with lust, he's like, okay, 
I'll give it to you. You can have it. And he jumps right in, right? He's a sucker, right? That's what happens. He's so consumed with, this, with his lust that he ends up giving up everything, all right? But the point that I want to make in all this is that look at the life that Judah is now living. Judah had been away from the family. He had been away from the godly influence. Look at the decisions that he's making now, right? It's so easy for him to get involved in this type of lifestyle that now he's, not, he, he, now he's living the life that his neighbors are living, right? Now he's one of them. And that's what happens to any one of us. We leave, we leave God. We leave, you know, godly counsel, godly, godly people. And we get mixed up in the world, eventually you're going to be like the world. So now we see Judah, he's fully consumed now. He's in the world now. Okay? Let's continue. Okay, verse 19. After she left, she took off her veil and put on her widow's clothes again. Meanwhile, Judah sent a young goat by his friend, the Adullamite in order to get his pledge back from the woman, but he did not find her. He asked the men who lived there, where is the shrine prostitute who was beside the road at Enaim? There hasn't been any shrine prostitute here, they said. So he, so he went back to Judah and said, I didn't find her. Besides the men who lived there, said that there hasn't been any shrine prostitute here. Then Judah said, let her keep what she has. And we will become a laughingstock. After all, I did send her the goat, but you didn't find her. So now, Judah's already in the world. Okay? He's already consumed in the world. He's making bad choices, right? So not only is he making bad choices, but now we're seeing his values are all messed up. Because now he's more worried about being publicly exposed, right? He doesn't want nobody to know that he was with a prostitute, right? He's looking at Timna like, you know, what happens in Timna stays in Timna. You know what I mean? He's so, he's so concerned. He's so concerned with his public image, right, that he sends his boy. He's like, go. Take her the money. Take her the goat. You know what I mean? And go get my stuff. But do me a favor, man. Save it for the library, right? Keep it on the hush-hush. Huh? Don't say nothing, Right? So he's trusting in this boy, man, to get him out of this thing, right? Because after all, she's got his possessions, valuable possessions, okay? He comes back, and when he finds out, man, that this boy can't save him, what does he do? Don't worry about it. Sweep it under the rug. Huh? Don't worry about it, right? Don't say nothing, because if we continue making a, a case with this, Pressing the issue, it's going to come out in the open. And I'm going to be a laughingstock. People are going to make fun of me. I'm going to look bad. Right? He's too worried about his public image. He wasn't worried. He was, he was fearful of, of the way people were going to think about him. Why wasn't he fearful of how God was going to think about it when he was committing this stuff? Right? And we sometimes get like that, huh? We get so consumed in the decisions that we're making or things that we're doing that we think that just that we're hiding from, you know, people aren't going to know. God knows. God sees that. 
right? He wasn't worried about God, man, when he was turning a trick a la brava, right? He wasn't worried about God. All of a sudden, now he's worried. Sweep it on the rug. Don't say nothing. Huh? Keep it hush, hush. Quiet. But how many of us know, man, that sin, even secret sins that we think, man, will not be kept hid. Everything will be exposed. Numbers, chapter 32, verse 23 says, but if you fail to do this, you will be sinning against the Lord. And you may be sure that your sin will find you out. Psalms, chapter 90, verse 8 says, you have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins, in the light of your presence. And then Ecclesiastes 12, 14 says, for God will bring every deed into judgment including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. Lord, have mercy on us, right? Especially if we carry that type of attitude thinking that nobody's going to know. Especially when we're behind closed doors, right, where we think nobody's watching. God is watching, amen? Let's continue because it gets better. Verse 24, about three months later, Judah was told, your daughter-in-law, Tamar is guilty of prostitution, and as a result, she's now pregnant. Judah said, bring her out and have her burned to death. So get this, Judah, he's jumping at the chance to finally put her to death, right? Remember, he thinks she's a black widow, right? He still knows that he has to comply with, with bringing his son to marry her, right? By law, he's supposed to do that. So now his, here's this chance, his way out. He's like, oh, great. First of all, she's probably the cause of my first two sons' death, but now she's bringing a bad name to my family. So now he jumps at the chance. Put her to death, right? Isn't it something how many of us are often angry at, upset with, and scandalized by the sins that we see in other people that we struggle with, Right? Because Judah was guilty, just as guilty as she was. But yet he was so quick to pronounce judgment over her. Put her to death. And yet he was guilty. Remember, he was trying to sweep that under the rug. Shh. Don't say nothing. Right? We're so quick to condemn someone else's behavior. We're so quick to judge another person, not realizing that we ourselves, we fall short of God's glory. I do. Right? How many of us fall short? Right? If you ain't raising your hand, you're a liar. Okay? We're, 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 we're quick to judge others, and we make excuses for our own. Right? It's kind of like being at a carnival, right? When you walk into those fun house mirror, mirror type things, the mirrors that kind of distort the objects that it reflects, Right? It takes some objects and it makes it disproportionately large, but at the same time it makes others disproportionately small. You know what I mean? That's how it is in society also. We live in a society where everybody's judging everybody else but themselves. I wonder what it would be like if we would all took the time and with the same energy that we do to judge someone else, if we would examine our own lives. Amen? I think things would be a whole lot different, huh? I think that maybe we should put away the funhouse mirror and start looking at a real mirror, huh? Amen? 
Okay, so let's, let's continue because it's going to get better. All right, here we go. So Judah, he's, he's indignant, right? He's, he's so-called acting in righteous anger, right? The fact that nobody knows what he's did, right, believe that he's in the right because he's acting in a righteous anger because she, she's pregnant. And he knows that he didn't give his son to her, so who's she going to get pregnant by? So therefore, she committed adultery. So therefore, he had every right to say, put her to death. Back then, they would stone them. In some cultures, they would even burn them. So right now, he's exercising his right to put her to death, right? Because he, he's actually burned her, right? He's being specific. Let's burn her. But the one who's actually burning is him. He's the one that's about to get burned. Proverbs 6, 27 to 32 says, Can a man scoop fire into his lap without his clothes being burned? Can a man walk on hot coals without his feet being scorched? So was he who sleeps with another man's wife. No one who touches her will go unpunished. People do not despise a thief if, if he steals to satisfy his hunger when he's starving. Yet if he's caught, he must pay sevenfold, though it costs him all the wealth of his house. But a man who commits adultery has no sense whatsoever. For whoever does destroys himself. So the one that's really getting burned is Judah. Okay? Let's continue because it's about to get better. How many of you guys love the drama here, right? Some good drama, huh? That was just like watching Netflix, man. Okay? Here we go. 25. As she was being brought out, she sent a message to her father-in-law. I'm pregnant by the man who owns these things. She said. And she added, see if you recognize whose seal and cord and staff these are. Now, I got to admit. Man, I wish I was there to see that. I wish I was there to see that. I wish I was there to see the look on Judah's face as he looks at these items, right? And he begins to do the math. And he starts to put two and two together. I wish I could see the way his eyes lit up as he had to come down off his high horse. I could just imagine Tamar, um, dad, pop, a pa. Do you know who this ring with the big J belongs to? I could just imagine the look on his face. Huh? When he finally had to step down his high horse and say, I was wrong. Right? <laughs> right? And that leads us to one of the main ideas here. That our sin will be exposed if we don't come correct. Right? Judah had every opportunity to come correct. He had every opportunity to make it right. But he decided to sweep it under the rug. Not only that, but he decided to act self-righteous and start judging others. And what happened? It backfires on him. Huh? Before you know it, he's fed a big, big old slice of humble pie. Right? Because he thought that his sin would remain a secret. Like I said, he thought that whatever happened in Timnah would stay in Timnah. Right? This kind of reminds me back, I believe it was around 2009, 2010, around there, an issue that happened on a website called Ashley Madison. Ashley Madison website is a website that caters to married people, for those who want to have affairs, or those who want, it's a sickening website. 
the idea that it has on there is, is it encourages married people to have an affair. Now, what happened during this time was some hackers got into this website and they released the information of every subscriber on there. Everybody that was subscribed on that was exposed. The sad thing about it was that many committed suicide. This is what happened to Judah. He got exposed. You know what I mean? And this is a lesson for us too. That if we, if we continue in that, eventually it's going to get exposed. You know what I mean? And I believe God always gives us a chance to make it right, to come correct. I believe he gives us warnings in many different ways, right? I believe that this right here is like a, um, a foretaste of, 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 of what's going to happen in the future where everything will be exposed. And Jesus talks about that. In Luke chapter 12, verse 2 and 3 says, Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light. And what you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetops. Then we see also in Revelation chapter 20, verse 11 and 12, it says, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it, from, the, from his presence the earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. And books were opened, and the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. So right now, there's either an angel or God himself right now with a book and pen writing every single thing, every single behavior, every single thought, every single motive, right? Everything. He's taking a meticulous record, right? Me personally, that would cause me to tremble, right? Because I know my thoughts, right? I know my attitudes. I know my intentions. I know that a lot of times I fall short. I know that a lot of times, you know, the things that I do ain't right, you know? That's why I'm so grateful for his mercy, right? I don't deserve his mercy, but I'm so glad, man, God is quick to dish it out. He's quick to pour out his mercy. But the fact that we read something like this, it caused every one of us to tremble, right? Because God is looking at everything. Amen? But I want us to understand also is that even though God is looking at everything, he's not looking for a reason to punish us. He's not. Because his deepest desire is to be merciful to us. That's his natural disposition toward us is to be merciful. The Bible says that he's quick in mercy. And we're seeing right here a great example here in chapter 38, right? Because what does he do with Judah? He doesn't cast him aside. He doesn't get rid of Judah. He begins to work on Judah's heart. And we see this right here beginning to work in verse 26. In verse 26, right, it says, Judah recognized him and said, she's more righteous than I, since I wouldn't give her my son Shelah, and he didn't sleep with her again. She's more righteous than I. What a powerful statement. Even though it had to come in these type of circumstances, but it still, it still shows God working on his heart. And the fact that he made this statement shows that his heart is beginning to soften, right? God is already beginning to work on his heart. God didn't throw him away. Remember I said a couple of, couple of weeks ago, you know, that God is in the recycling business. I love it, right? I'm, gl I'm, I'm so thankful that God recycled me, man, because I was jacked up. You know what I mean? 
and that God would extend his mercy and grace and allow me a chance to live for him, I see that here. He's working on Judah. He's working on his heart. Sure, he exposed him, right? He exposed the sin, but he did it in love. It might have been tough love, but he did it in love. Amen? He did it in order to save him. Amen? She's more righteous than I. Wow. That's powerful. We don't read about Judah anymore until like Genesis chapter 44. And in chapter 44, we see Judah acting righteously now. He's acting in an honorable way, saving his younger brother Benjamin from a serious, dangerous situation, right? Remember, it was his idea to sell Joseph. It was his idea to sell Joseph into slavery. But now in Genesis 44, we see him different now. Now he's doing everything he can to save his brother. He's a different man. And that's what God does, right? God will take you out of your sin, and he will change you into a different person. Amen? Come on. Give the Lord praise. But I believe that the greatest act of grace that God shows Judah is the fact that he uses Judah, right, in such a way in, a, in, in, in the redemptive plan of the world. He uses Judah because that's where Jesus comes through, through the line, right? He associates himself as the, the, the line of the tribe of Judah, right? That's grace. Wow, we're almost done. Okay, let's hurry. When the time came for her to give birth, there were, there were twin boys. There were twin boys in her room. As she was giving birth, one of them put out his hand, so the midwife took the scarlet thread and tied it on his wrist. And said, this one came out first. But then when he drew back his hand, his brother came out. And she said, so this is how you have broken out? And his name was Perez. Hope I pronounced that right. Perez. Hmm? I went by my app. Remember, I have an app that does the pronunciation. So that's why, let's blame the app. Okay. Perez. Okay, we'll say that. Then his brother, who had the scarlet thread on his wrist, came out. And his name was Zira. Okay? So here we see the awesome work of grace in Judah's life, right? Because remember, God took away his first two sons and he replaces them with twin boys. Isn't, isn't that powerful? Isn't that awesome? How God can take the brokenness in our lives, man, and just repair it, man, you know, powerfully. And here, we see here also that Tamar and the twin boys will also be added to the genealogy of Jesus. Amen. We read about that in Matthew. So Perez, or Perez, right, he would, he would go on to have kids, and they would go on to have kids, and so on and so forth, and it goes down the line. Eventually comes down to a woman. Anybody know the name of her? Mary. Goes down to Mary, and Mary will give birth to the Messiah. Amen. So that right there is an act of grace. That's powerful. That You know, all I see is grace here because everyone here blew it. Everyone here should have been done away with, right? But God in his redemptive plan, in his mercy and his grace, he extends his grace toward them and he begins a new work in them, right, in order to fulfill what he had promised, to fulfill the prophecies, amen? And that's encouraging to me, right? So it should be encouraging to you, right? Because it's like God saying, 
you know, she might have messed up. She might have made some decisions that were questionable. But I'm still going to allow her to be part of the genealogy. Right? And with me and with you. Man, we might have blown it big time. And sometime or another, we might have blown it. But it's just of God saying, you know what? If you look toward me, if you look toward my son, I can take, even take your mistakes and turn them around and link you to my son like the way he linked Tamar to his son. Amen? That's grace. The fact that he would add her to the genealogy is grace. But the fact that he would associate himself as the lion of the tribe of Judah, that's amazing grace. Amen? That's encouraging. Are we encouraged tonight? Come on, we encouraged tonight? Amen. Amen. So church, the God of the Old Testament, the God of the New Testament, the God of the Bible is a God who delights in showing mercy. Amen. He delights in pouring out his mercy and his grace. Amen. Remember, we all mess up, right? But God is always quick to forgive. The Bible says that if we confess our sins, that he's what? Faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Amen. He wipes the slate clean. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we bless you tonight. Lord, we're so grateful, Lord God, for your grace, for your mercy. We're thankful, Father, for the lesson we learned tonight, Father. Knowing, Lord God, that you see all things, Father. You know the condition of our hearts. You know the decisions that we make, Father. We know that sometimes, Lord, we blow it. But we're thankful, Lord God, that when we come to you, Father, that you are the only one who, who can wipe the slate clean. You can turn the situation around, Father, and you can change hearts, Father. You can turn a heart of stone into a heart of flesh, Lord. Father, we're grateful, Father, for the lesson tonight, Father. We ask, Lord God, that we would take this lesson with us. Let it be a reminder to us, Father, throughout the, the weeks, the months, the years, Lord, in Jesus' name, Father. And that we will be mindful that your eyes are always upon us, Father. And that we will be, have that desire, Father, to serve you, Father, to love you, Lord God, with everything, Lord. In Jesus' name, Father, we, we praise you, Father. We lift you up, Lord. And, Father, as we leave tonight, we ask that you would give us traveling mercies. That you would prepare us, Heavenly Father, as we prepare to come in for Sunday, Father, for our celebration, Lord. As we come together as one body and one faith and one spirit, Lord. We bless you tonight, Father. We thank you once again. In Jesus' name. And let everyone say, Amen. God bless you, church.